up right now.
All right, we have uh, really, as Ed Sullivan would say, a really big shoe this evening. My name's Gavin Walker, and of course, this is The Jazz Show on CITR-FM 101.9, or on your computer, www.citr.ca. We're going to uh, have our jazz feature right off the top, of course, but uh, later on in the show, we're going to commemorate... Uh, a couple of anniversaries. And one of them, of course, happened yesterday, was the birthday anniversary of the great modern jazz pioneer and legend, Earl Bud Powell. So I have some music, Bud Powell music, to play for you this evening. And uh, some of his finest work, which is absolutely what can I say about Bud Powell? When he was at his finest, there was absolutely no one on the planet that could, that could touch him in any way. Bud Powell. So we're going to commemorate that. His birthday was yesterday. He was born in New York City on yesterday, which was what, September 27th, 1924 in New York. And he was only 42 when he passed away in 1966 and led a rather tragic life as most people that are familiar with Bud know already. The second person we're going to commemorate is someone uh, actually was, a, I can't say a friend, but was an acquaintance. And uh, we had a, um, a couple of great meetings, and uh, uh, we always greeted one another every time we saw one another. And a wonderful saxophone player who was said to be an influence on, on John Coltrane. I think he was because John Coltrane listened to everybody. <laughs> and somebody somebody asked him one time, "Well, uh, who are your influences?" He says, "Everybody." And so that that's kind of a good answer because it it it, it includes uh, it includes everybody. So the person I'm talking about spent most of his um, playing career with the legendary Sun Ra organization. He was a integral part of that band. But there were times when, uh, with the permission of Sun Ra, he was able to leave the band for periods of time and, uh, and record and gig with um, certain musicians. And uh, one of them was uh, trumpeter Freddie Hubbard. Another one was uh, pianist McCoy Tyner, um, Canadian pianist Paul Blay, and also uh, he took, um, this gentleman took Wayne Shorter's place in Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers when Wayne Shorter finally left and joined Miles Davis. person I'm talking about was born in Summit, Mississippi, and his name, John Gilmore. He was raised in Chicago and went to the legendary DuSable High School uh, with so many great musicians. Gilmore is always been one of my favorite saxophone players. And uh, we did have some great conversations together. And, and uh, so he was uh, an acquaintance. And if we'd known each other a little longer, I think um, we would have become really good friends. John Gilmore. So we're going to pay tribute to uh, some of John's music. Um, 
including the Sun Ra Orchestra and, uh, and uh, a great uh, performance by Gilmore outside of that orchestra as well. So you get a taste of his uh, very individual and very uh, wonderful tenor saxophone playing. We have more, and uh, I'll leave that. Into oh, one more thing. Yes, there is one more thing. I'm going to be playing some Errol Garner for you. Finally, I got in the mail this morning the complete concert by the sea. It's the best-selling jazz record in the history of the music. It has outsold uh, jazz recordings like Kind of Blue and so on. Errol Garner, of course, um, was the legendary pianist and a wonderful musician, totally uh, self-taught, didn't read music, had no idea what a chord was, except he played them, and influenced just about every piano player on the planet, directly or indirectly. Earl Garner. And the album called Concert by the Sea, 40 minutes of incredible music that Earl played at a, at a jazz concert where he was the featured artist in Carmel, California in 1955. September 18th was the date, um, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, Columbia Records finally, after um, 60 years, put out the complete concert. We all knew that there was more than 40 minutes because Errol was the only artist on the concert, and he did two sets, and he certainly wasn't going to play a set, uh, one set of 40 minutes and, and go home. Uh, Errol Garner never did that. And... What happened was a whole bunch of legalities and all kinds of complicated stuff that I won't get into. So finally, Columbia had clearance to uh, issue this concert. It's a three-album set, and uh, it includes um, about an hour, more than an hour, of music that has never seen the light of day. And I feel, along with um, thousands of other people who treasured this recording over the years, that this is his finest recording. And um, I don't think anybody will disagree with me on that one. It was a recording that went beyond. Uh, people that didn't even like jazz owned this recording because Errol Garner was able to transcend uh, that sort of thing with his music. And uh, just an amazing musician. He wasn't particularly verbally articulate, but he was certainly articulate with his music. And uh, so we're going to hear some uh, of those unreleased tracks from uh, Errol Garner's legendary concert by the sea. But it's about time now to get into our jazz feature. And our jazz feature this evening is legendary drummer Chico Hamilton, who lived to a ripe old age of 92 Chico Hamilton was, uh, in many ways, an innovator. He played with everybody um, before he formed his first quintet uh, in 1955. He had played with Lionel Hampton. He played with Charles Mingus. He played with Billie Holiday. He had played with Art Tatum. Uh, the list goes on and on and on and on. Jerry Mulligan, he was part of Jerry Mulligan's famous quartet um, with Chet Baker, the legendary quartet. Um, Chico was the, was the drummer in that band. He formed his first quintet in 1955. And 
It was a fine, very innovative band, which included guitar and cello and a horn and um, a saxophone, um, especially a saxophone player who doubled on other instruments like flute, clarinet, and so on and so forth. And he found one of the best in Buddy Collette. He was the original um, saxophonist in the band. Chico's quintet went on for years, several years until about 1960, with various people in the band. But it always had it had a unique sound. It was chamber jazz. It was polite. Um, it it was innovative, yes. But the music was uh, yes. It was it was polite. It it, it wasn't loud. Uh, it it wasn't uh, particularly innovative, other than the 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 unique sound of the band, that sort of thing. But it didn't have that punch that a lot of bands had. It was, it was uh, delicate. Um, also, um, very, very tight arrangements. The tunes were usually quite short. There was not a lot of stretching out in the band uh, and, and long, long tunes and, and that sort of thing. But some very, very famous people came through that band, Eric Dolphy being one of them, Paul Horn being one of them, um, on, uh, also uh, Jim Hall, the guitarist, and, and many other folks, and a, a great Canadian bass player by the name of Hal Gaylor was a big part of Chico Hamilton's quintet, plus all the, all the cello players, too, uh, Fred Katz, Nat Gershman, so on and so forth. But somehow in the early 60s, Chico kind of tired of this uh, 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 um, formula that he had uh, had with the band. He wanted to open things up a little more, become a little more adventurous, a little more energetic, and he disbanded completely. And he thought about what he wanted to form, and what we're going to hear this evening is a result of uh, his new ideas, because he brought in a whole group of new people most of them had never um, been heard of on the international or national jazz scene. And uh, he formed his new quintet, and he called it the new Chico Hamilton Quintet. The music was more, as I said, more innovative, more adventurous, uh, more fun to listen to. The band stretched out. Um, there was all kinds of uh, new properties in the new Chico Hamilton Quintet. And this album that we're going to listen to is, without a doubt, I think their finest moment on records. The band stayed together for a number of years. The people involved in the band, a young uh, saxophone player, then young saxophone player who is still around, was at our jazz festival just uh, a while back. Uh, the new saxophone player from Memphis, Tennessee, via Los Angeles, was Charles Lloyd. And Charles Lloyd is featured on tenor saxophone and flute in this band. On trombone, a buttery-sounding, wonderful trombone player. Uh, he gets a, a feature on this album, too. From Detroit, uh, became one of the leading studio musicians in Los Angeles after the Chico Hamilton uh, uh, gigs. Um, and I'm talking about George Bohanan. Not well-known, but one of the finest uh, voices of the trombone. Uh, on guitar, a most interesting person, came over with the Hungarian Revolution in 1956, and he brings some of that Hungarian culture in his guitar work, 
and also mixes it in with a kind of a Middle Eastern feeling. And one of the most unique guitar players on the planet, Gabor Zabo. And Gabor lived to um, 1982 when he passed away. He had various personal problems. But what a wonderful voice on, on the guitar. On bass was someone who was a friend of mine. Unfortunately, we lost him to drugs in 1968. He would have, to me, become one of the finest, most innovative bass players had he lived. And I'm talking about Albert Stinson on bass. So all these names were, were very new at the time. And Chico uh, recorded uh, for Columbia Records, but it wasn't until he signed with the Impulse label, which was an adventurous label, it was Coltrane's label, and various other people, Oliver Nelson recorded for Impulse, that um, the Chico Hamilton Quintet really came to the fore. And this album was recorded uh, in Rudy Van Gelder's studio in September of 1962. The album is called Passin' Through. Charles Lloyd was an important part of this band because he wrote a lot of the music um, for the band and uh, did a lot of the arranging. And he stayed in the band right up until the time he, he left in 1963, uh, late 1963, to join Cannonball Adderley's band. But uh, Charles Lloyd was a, a big contributor to this band. He wrote the title track, and it's called Passin' Through. And the second tune is a standard tune, uh, lots of wonderful singers uh, did this tune, but it's a feature for George Bohannon on trombone. And it's a, the tune is called uh, Love's More Comfortable the Second Time Around. There we go. Written by Sammy Kahn and Jimmy Van Heusen. It's the only standard on the, uh, on the recording. Uh, tune number three is uh, kind of an exotic thing for Charles Lloyd's very unique flute stylings, and it's called El Toro. Um, then we hear a version of uh, Charles Lloyd's blues called Transfusion. And then, for me, the major track of the album, and it's also the longest, and it's a tune by Gabor Zabo, and it's called Lady Gabor. And um, it features Charles Lloyd's flute once again on that tune. And then the final tune was written by Mr. Lloyd, and it's called Lonesome Child. Interestingly enough, um, when I first got this album, I was going through a, a quite a bit of uh, a personal transition in my own life, and um, I won't go into any deep description of that, but I looked to this album for a lot of kind of solace, and I, I listened to this album uh, when I had the LP over and over and over again. Somehow it, it cleared my mind of, of a lot of the stuff that was happening around me, and I lost myself in this music. So uh, in a way, this music is kind of a personal uh, feeling for me too. Um, I love this album, and uh, I still maintain that it's Chico's finest. So Mr. Hamilton, the great drummer who is so adaptable, um, Another thing, uh, I was, um, <laughs> uh, just a, on a side note, I was studying flute at the time, and um, I had a great teacher. His name, uh, as a matter of fact, he may be well-known to some Vancouver musicians. He was a legendary Vancouver musician, saxophone player, flute player, clarinet player. He also played bass, and his name was Gavin, Gavin Hussey. And um, Gavin lived over in North Vancouver, and he was... Uh, 
uh, we used to call him the Archie Bunker of North Vancouver because he was kind of like Archie in his attitude and so on. What a great musician and what a wonderful teacher. And he was my first flute teacher and taught me all the basics in the flute. And he asked me uh, one day to, to, to bring some recordings of flute players that I liked, and I brought this one. And he was not impressed. And I said, well, can't you see, Gavin? I can't, can't you see what Charles Lloyd is trying to do? He's trying to get away from the, from the sort of classical approach to the flute and bring back sort of the primitive feel of the flute because it's one of the oldest musical instruments in the world. Can't you see that, man? And he looked at me, and he said, no. <laughs> so, so that was a flop. I still continued my lessons with Gavin, though, because he was such a great teacher, even though we disagreed on the accomplishments of Charles Lloyd. I don't think you'll agree with, uh, with uh, Mr. Hussey, but uh, there you go. All right. I've talked enough, and we're going to get to the music. Once again, the band Chico Hamilton on drums, Charles Lloyd on tenor saxophone and flute, George Bohanan on trombone, Gabor Zabo on guitar, and Albert Stinson on bass. And we begin with the title track, and it's called Passing Through. Here we go. Thank you. 
Thank you.
That's our jazz feature this evening. Over Too Soon, huh? What a great album. Um, that album was initially released on Impulse Records, and it's, uh, in my estimation, the finest statement by this uh, organization, which remained together for uh, about two, almost two years with the, uh, with the same personnel and led by drum master Chico Hamilton. You know, Chico Hamilton's real name was Forrest Thorn. <laughs> so that's why he, at a very, very early age, took the nickname Chico and was known. Um, the only time he used his real name was on legal forms because <laughs> he had to. And uh, very few people called him Forrest Thorn. Uh, one of those unfortunate names. He was born in Los Angeles, and uh, he was born on uh, September 21st, uh, 1921, and lived, of course, as I mentioned before, played with virtually everybody before he formed his first quintet, so he was very well known. And um, this is really the new Chico Hamilton quintet. Uh, He decided that the first quintet was kind of polite jazz, a little bloodless, a little kind of overarranged, etc. He was looking for broader horizons. And so he disbanded the old quintet and completely revamped the band with all these young guys, then young guys, uh, who were virtually unknown and um, proceeded to uh, be one of the very important bands in the early 60s, the new Chico Hamilton Quintet. And this album, Passing Through, I think is, as I said, their finest statement. Chico Hamilton on drums. Charles Lloyd, of course, who is still very much with us on tenor saxophone and flute. This was one of his uh, first most important gigs. On trombone, a gentleman who, uh, after his um, stay with Chico Hamilton, moved into the um, studios in Hollywood and uh, was part of the great aggregation that uh, did movie scores and all this kind of stuff. But he was still playing a lot of jazz. And, of course, one of the most uh, uh, mellow and buttery-sounding voices of the trombone. I love his sound. George Bohannon, originally from Detroit. And on guitar, a gentleman who came over with the Hungarian Revolution in 1956 and brought some of his um, Hungarian musical culture with him in the guitar. And Gabor was also interested in Middle Eastern music and kind of and had a big, big sound on, on, on guitar and a very, very interesting concept. Gabor left us in 1982, sad to say. His health broke down. But uh, what a wonderful musician, made lots of significant contributions, and this was one of his first important gigs, was with this band. And uh, this is where he became much better known. And on bass, as I mentioned before, a friend of mine, Albert Stinson. And Al Stinson was, uh, I thought Al Stinson was going to become one of the finest bass players on the planet. And he was on his way there with this recording. This was his very first recording date. And I got to know Al quite well, and and, uh, we did some playing together. What a wonderful musician, but sad to say he got into drugs and died of a heroin overdose in 1968, and he was just, he was still young. He was still in his 20s, and we lost uh, that potential. But his playing here is wonderful. Albert Stinson on bass. 
The tunes we heard, we, uh, four of them were by Charles Lloyd, who did the bulk of the writing for this band. The first tune, of course, the catchy uh, uh, tune uh, that opened the whole set was called Passin' Through, and that's the title track, of course. The second tune uh, featured as a standard, the only standard on the album, Sammy Kahn's and Jimmy Van Heusen's tune, uh, Love is More Comfortable, was second time around, and that featured the uh, trombone stylings of George Bohannon. And tune number three, Charles Lloyd brought out his flute uh, with a little kind of a Spanish exotic-flavored thing called El Toro. And then we moved to um, another Charles Lloyd composition based on the blues called Transfusion. And then the most intriguing track of the whole album was uh, uh, the longest as well, and that was Gabor Zabo's tune called simply Lady Gabor. And um, Lloyd, again, was uh, on, on flute on that one. The final tune was a Charles Lloyd composition with a little bit of a Coltrane feel. And that was his composition called Lonesome Child, Charles Lloyd. And that ended the album. Passing Through. So that's our jazz feature this evening. I uh, certainly hope you enjoyed it. And uh, just to remind you that you are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR-FM 101.9. My name's Gavin Walker, and we're going to carry on with some music by a vibes player uh, who unfortunately um, died uh, an accidental death. Uh, it, it's a bit of a, a bizarre story. Um, we have to remember that this man, for nine years uh, before he actually gave up the job, was a policeman. That's right. And when he recorded this, he was still working uh, as a policeman in, uh, in Wilmington, Delaware, which is his, was his home. And I guess because of his experience with um, uh, weapons and all that kind of stuff, and uh, he decided one night to uh, show off and um, ended up, uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, killing himself in a demonstration of... Uh, Russian roulette, and he lost, sad to say, and we lost a, a great exponent of the vibes. He had a, his own thing on vibes, and um, it was kind of a combination. You could hear the Milt Jackson influence in there. You could hear the, the uh, percussive feel of Lionel Hampton, but he definitely had his own sound, and this was his debut. We're going to hear three tunes um, when he debuted at the Newport Jazz Festival. He sent in a, an audition um, disc, and they listened to it and, and liked it. And uh, Lem was living, um, uh, went to Boston, actually. Uh, he, was, he was doing a gig there, and he decided to use the rhythm section. These are all local Boston musicians that he used on the gig. And he was featured at the 1958 Newport, Rhode Island Jazz Festival, which was a big event. It was in the afternoon. And uh, he's introduced here by, uh, we'll hear the voice of uh, the late uh, John Hammond, who, of course, was a great producer for Columbia Records and uh, did all kinds of things. And he's going to introduce Lamb Winchester to you. The people involved, uh, Ray Santisi on piano. As I said, these were all Boston musicians. Ray Santisi on piano, John Neves on bass, and Jimmy Zitano on drums. And, of course, Lim Winchester on vibes. 
And uh, the first tune that we're going to hear after the introduction is Charlie Parker's Now's the Time. That's a good way to start. And uh, then uh, Lem goes into a ballad, a beautiful um, tune uh, written by uh, Burke and Van Heusen, um, The Romantic Polka Dots and Moonbeams. And the final tune, of course, is Billy Strayhorn's great tune, which was Duke Ellington's theme, Take the A-Train. So we take you to the Newport Jazz Festival, July 6th, 1958. And here's the voice of uh, John Hammond to introduce Lem Winchester. A few months ago, I received in the mail a private recording by a group in Wilmington, Delaware. They had with them a guest star, a local musician who played vibraharp. This I dug. So I investigated further and found to my amazement that this vibraphonist or vibraharpist is not a full-time professional musician at all. He's a policeman. Most of us figure that our jazz, in order to swing, has got to be walking, it's got to have a natural beat, so that's no problem for this guy. He's been walking a beat for nine years. So it's my pleasure to introduce from Wilmington, Delaware, Patrolman Lem Winchester.
Len Winchester.
And there in that uh, short set was the debut of a gentleman named Lem Winchester, who uh, recorded actually quite a bit in his uh, short life, although I mentioned before in the uh, intro how it was uh, unfortunately terminated. But um, this was uh, quite an honor to be debuted at the Newport Jazz Festival, which was the jazz festival in those years in Newport, Rhode Island, July 6, 1958. And um, it was part of an afternoon kind of concert series called New Faces at Newport. And he definitely was a new face. No one had ever heard of this man, uh, except those that uh, he gave tickets to in Wilmington, Delaware, because he was, um, at that time, a full-time policeman with the uh, Delaware Constabulary. Anyway, we heard John Hammond uh, introduce Lem Winchester, and the people involved here, um, uh, Lem had played uh, uh, a weekend gig in Boston before coming to the Newport Jazz Festival, and he was very impressed with the Boston musicians that he used, and, and uh, he brought them to, uh, to Newport. And these musicians are, that we heard, Ray Santisi on piano, extremely fine piano player, John Neves on bass, who ended up playing with Stan Getz and all kinds of people, and uh, one of the best drummers in Boston at the time, Jimmy Zitano. And the tunes, and of course, Lem Winchester on vibes, the tunes we heard, uh, Charlie Parker's Now's the Time, and then the uh, Burke Van Heusen standard, Polka Dots and Moonbeams, and finally, Billy Strayhorn's famous Take the A-Train, done uh, up-tempo style. Lem Winchester, a gentleman who had his own... Uh, voice on the vibes, and obvious, uh, obviously a Milt Jackson influence and some Lionel Hampton in there too, but combined them both beautifully into his own style. You are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR. My name's Gavin Walker, and we're here every Monday night with some of the very best in jazz music, and of course we're broadcasting on unceded Musqueam territory right out here at the University of British Columbia, FM 101.9, or on your computer, www.citr.ca. Next up, we're commemorating the anniversary of Earl Bud Powell, a gentleman I consider one of the great geniuses of jazz. He's as much a a genius as Charlie Parker is. Very few musicians can really be called a, a, a genius, uh, they may be extremely talented, talent beyond, above, and all that kind of stuff. But a genius, that's something very special. And that's a term that's kind of bandied around um, by everyone today. Bud Powell was truly deserving of this. And um, unfortunately, he led a very, very troubled life. Uh, there's a wonderful biography um, uh, of Bud, and it's a very, very disturbing book because of all the things that he went through. He only lived to age 42, and um, sad to say, uh, his demise was kind of long and very painful as well, Bud Powell. But gifted, incredibly gifted man, and uh, a virtuoso pianist, and of course became one of the pioneers of modern jazz, 
I don't think there's a piano player playing today, whether they know it or not, that doesn't have Bud Powell in their style. Perhaps um, it's, it's really hard to say. Bud Powell laid down so much um, and, and um, gave so much and established a style that uh, uh, everybody borrows from. Uh, an amazing musician. He grew up, his best friend was Thelonious Monk. And um, although they occasionally Bud reflected um, uh, some Monkisms in his playing, uh, he wasn't really musically influenced by Monk. He always had his own thing. The other pianist that was a buddy of Bud Powell's and lesser known was Elmo Hope. And the three of them um, were three of the most incredible modern jazz piano players in New York at one time, and they were all great friends and, and really, truly uh, loved one another. Anyway, getting back to this, we're featuring some music by Bud Powell. As I said, uh, he was born yesterday, September 27th, 1924, in New York and died in 1966. And... This is an interesting date because it's one of the few dates that Bud led with horns. And it goes back to 1949, August 8th, 1949. And this date was set up by Blue Note Records. All the tunes are short because this was before the days of LPs, so the tunes are all three minutes long. So you really had to get your stuff together to play. And Bud assembled this incredible band, um made up of uh, the truly great, legendary Fats Navarro on trumpet, who was taken from us at age 26. Fats established a style that is reflected in all modern jazz trumpet players. Great, great trumpet uh, uh, player and musician, Fats Navarro. On bass, the always reliable Tommy Potter. And on drums, Mr. Snap Crackle, Roy Haynes. Originally, or so he thought, Jackie McLean was supposed to play saxophone on this, alto saxophone, because he had befriended Bud and um, used to drive and accompany Bud to his gigs, making sure that he was uh, ready and on time for his gigs, because Bud was notoriously uh, cavalier with time. And uh, Jackie McLean was befriended Bud's mother and said that he would take care of Bud and make sure that he got to the gigs on time and and all that sort of stuff and kept an eye on him during the gigs too so that Bud wouldn't get into trouble. So Jackie McLean figured he would be the saxophone player on this date, but it didn't happen that way. Bud Powell decided to choose someone who was a little more advanced than Jackie McLean and a little more experienced, and that's Sonny Rollins. So we're going to hear 19-year-old Sonny Rollins on here. Um, he and Jackie were, were very tight. Jackie was about a year or two younger than Sonny, um, but Bud felt that Sonny was uh, more advanced, more mature, and could handle um, the music on this date. And uh, Jackie's nose was a little bit out of joint on this one, but uh, he forgave Bud, of course. But that's the way things go, and Sonny Rollins was a a wonderful choice. Sonny and Fats blend together very well, and, of course, the magnificent Bud Powell on piano. These are all three of his compositions, 
We begin with one called Bouncing with Bud. The second tune is an up-tempo thing called Whale. And the third tune I like is my favorite track is The Dance of the Infidels. And the final tune is a tune uh, that was used by all the little uh, modern jazz bands on 52nd Street. The tune was written by Thelonious Monk, and it's called 52nd Street Theme. And that closes the Bud Powell Quintet set. So here then are these, the master takes from these uh, three classic, uh, or this uh, classic session, August 8th, 1949, in New York City.
Four tunes by the Bud Powell Quintet. Usually Bud uh, either played solo or led a trio. Very rarely, unless he was a sideman or on an all-star date or something, um, worked with horns. And uh, these were horns that he picked um, to do this uh, particular session, and it featured three of his compositions. And they were all done for Blue Note Records back in... August of 1949, and the people that Bud picked, of course, Fats Navarro, Theodore Fats Navarro on trumpet. He just celebrated a birthday anniversary, too, September 24th. Sonny Rollins, 19 years old on this date, on tenor saxophone. Tommy Potter on bass was one of the better modern jazz bass players recorded with everybody, and of course... A drummer who is still alive today, amazing, Roy Haynes, Mr. Snap Crackle on drums, and of course, Bud Powell at the piano. Bouncing with Bud was the first tune, Whale was the second tune, and Dance of the Infidels was the third tune, all compositions by Bud Powell. The fourth tune, uh, which was actually um, used as a closing theme for a lot of bands that played on uh, 52nd Street, which was the jazz street in New York. And it was called 52nd Street Theme, and it was written by the one and only Thelonious Monk, who was Bud Powell's very best friend. So that's, uh, that's our Bud Powell. That's the first part of our Bud Powell segment. The next part is quite unbelievable because it's solo piano. And I had discovered, um, I guess this took place in the late 50s, and I had, of course, discovered Bud Powell, and I treasured the records that, uh, um, the Blue Note records that uh, we just listened to, and, and other recordings as well. But my friend and mentor, uh, alto saxophonist Dale Hillary, and I was sitting around at the original cellar one night, and uh, I don't know, Bud Powell's name came up, and uh, he said, uh, have you heard the album The Genius of Bud Powell? And I said, uh, w- which one is that? What, what do you? He said, you haven't heard that album? And you're a Bud Powell fan? Man, have you got something to learn? And, and I said, well... Is it is it on Blue Note or, or or Verve or one of those labels? He said, well, no, it's on Verve. And uh, I said, well, I really like the Blue Note stuff. I mean, man, you know, how can you get better than that? No, he said, Dale said, no, no, this one's better. He said, as far as I'm concerned, this is the best Bud Powell, the one I'm talking about. And you haven't heard it. Well, you know, you better you better get on it. Maybe borrow it from somebody. Uh, you know, somebody's got somebody has this record. And uh, strangely enough, I think it was about two or three days later. I was downtown, and I strolled into the bay to buy something, and I decided to go up to the record department because the bay had a record department somewhere. I, it was up on one of the upper floors where they sold, you know, uh, radios and stuff like that, and they had this little record department. So I went up there just to see if they had anything. I didn't expect anything in the Bay uh, in terms of uh, uh, jazz records. Uh, And uh, so I went up there, and 
sure enough, they had a, a very small little jazz section. And I thumbed through the records, most of them I'd seen. All of a sudden, this Bud Powell record was there. And it was a special sale stamp on it for $1.99. And it was the very record that Dale Hillary was talking about, The Genius of Bud Powell. And I remember taking it home. I didn't play I could have played it in the store because they had one of those audition uh, things, but I didn't have time. And I took it home, and when I got it home and put it on the record player, I almost fell on the floor because I had never heard piano playing like this, and I'd never heard playing from Bud Powell like this. And the next time I saw Hillary, I said, you know, you're right. I have the record now, and I told him the story. And he, he cracked up, and he says, see, you know, now you know what I'm talking about. This is Bud Powell. It was done in 1951, and uh, this is solo piano, and it's a series of, of um, tunes. All uh, The first five are all Bud Powell compositions, and the last three, we're going to hear all of them, the last three are, are standard tunes that he, he chose. The first tune, of course, uh, these are the first five are all Bud Powell compositions, beginning with Parisian Thoroughfare, one of his most popular and um, extremely difficult pieces of music to play. Great piece. Bud Powell just shines on this. The second tune may be dedicated to his mental state so often. Uh, the tune is called Oblivion, but it, it doesn't really reflect any kind of depressing thing. It's just that's the title he chose. Um, tune number three is a very pretty th moody thing called Dusk in Sandy. And uh, then tune number four is one called Hallucinations. And tune number five is entitled simply The Fruit. Then we get to the standards. The next tune after The Fruit is a tune, I call it a Second World War tune. It's a beautiful song that was sung by some of the British... Uh, singers and so on, uh, because it, it was composed right after all peace happened and um, no more bombing, no more Nazis, all this kind of stuff. And the tune was called The Nightingale Sang in Berkeley Square. And Bud makes the most of it. Then the next tune is Cole Porter's Just One of Those Things. And this is one of the most incredible versions of that tune. I won't even describe it. You just have to hear it. And the final tune is kind of a happy-sounding um, uh, bud where he gets into some stride piano and, and so on. It has a lot of fun with a tune written by Jerome Kern and Oscar Hammerstein called The Last Time I Saw Paris. And it was kind of foreshadowing because Bud eventually, about 10 years after this recording date, moved to Paris. Maybe, maybe he knew something. I don't know. Anyway, we take you back to this recording session, some of the greatest Bud Powell ever, and we begin with Parisian Thoroughfare.
our tribute to the great and definitely genius Bud Powell, Earl Bud Powell, born September 27th, 1924 in New York City and died in 1966 in that same city. And uh, Bud led a, a very convoluted and tragic life, but managed to make some of the greatest music that we know of and uh, definitely deserved the title of genius because he certainly was. This is uh, a group of solo uh, piano performances that he did in uh, New York City in February of 1951 for the Verve label, and it's from an album called The Genius of Bud Powell. There's some other tunes on here, too, with uh, a trio, but we're not going to hear those this evening. But the solo piano is very, very special, and uh, Bud's concept of solo piano is absolutely incredible, as you heard. Um, it's beyond words, so we won't even talk about it anymore. We'll just tell you what the tunes were. Uh, the first five were Bud Powell compositions, and the uh, tune... Uh, was uh, entitled Parisian Thoroughfare. That opened the set. Then we moved to another tune called Oblivion. And then uh, we moved to a tune called Dusk in Sandy, which was a kind of a meditative piece of music. And then we moved to another composition called Hallucinations. And finally, uh, a lighthearted, or more lighthearted piece of music called The Fruit. And then... We closed with three standard tunes of Bud's choosing. The first one was um, a Second World War song, or post-Second World War song, very popular in, in Britain, and it was called The Nightingale Sang in Berkeley Square. Then we moved to this amazing rendition of Cole Porter's Just One of Those Things, and uh, it's one of those compositions that were... The way Bud plays it is it would be a challenge to any pianist to do it that way. And the final tune was um, Jerome Kern, Oscar Hammerstein tune that, again, uh, was sort of the lighter side of Bud Powell, and it was called The Last Time I Saw Paris. And uh, he did a little stride piano work on that as well. Some charming and moving and incredible music by Bud Powell, our tribute to Mr. Powell and uh, his accomplishments in jazz. He was truly one of the pioneers of modern jazz, along with Dizzy Gillespie and Charlie Parker, Max Roach, Thelonious Monk, Charles Mingus, people like that. Bud Powell was on that level, and I think he was on an even other level. Charlie Parker was most certainly a genius, and so was Bud Powell. You are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR, broadcasting out here uh, on the campus of UBC on unceded Musqueam territory. FM 101.9 is your dial, and of course on your computer is www.citr.ca. We have a new website as well, so uh, I'm sure that uh, many of you have gone on there and are negotiating your way around that particular website. We certainly hope so. 
My name's Gavin Marker, and we're going to carry on uh, after uh, this couple of messages uh, with a tribute to one of my favorite saxophone players, the late and wonderful John Gilmore, whose birthday is today. And um, John passed away a few years ago in uh, the early 90s. And, of course, he was a mainstay in the Sun Ra Orchestra. And John had a particularly distinctive tenor saxophone style. So we're going to do that. But first, we have uh, this to deliver to you. And uh, there it is. Well, of course, our weather is quite uh, delightful right now. Um, a lot better than the stock market, I'll tell you. Tonight is clear with some fog patches forming overnight with a low of 9, and then the fog patches will clear up in the morning, and we're going to get a beautiful sunny day tomorrow with a low of 9 and highs between 18 and 22. Then Wednesday is a mix of sun and cloud with a low of 10 and a high of 18. Thursday is the same, with a mix of sun and cloud, low of 11, high of 18. Friday, well, a little bit of a downturn. It's cloudy on Friday, with a low of 12 and a high of 18. But back to sunshine again on Saturday, with a low of 8 and a high of 16. So that's, that's the weather picture for the week. A couple of very important websites to get onto is the website of the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society. There's all kinds of news on there that you should be checking out and up-and-coming concerts and all sorts of uh, uh, tidbits of information. That's a very, very good website. And you can purchase tickets on that website as well, which is uh, of various uh, events, and find out some uh, really good stuff, let me tell you. And that's the website of the Coastal Jazz and Blue Society. That's coastaljazz.ca. The other website I always mention is one that's administered by the recovering Brian Nation, who is just uh, getting his life back together after a health crisis. But the, uh, the website is still up there. There's lots of new postings and all kinds of things on, on Brian's website, and that's VancouverJazz.com. And that is a very comprehensive website and one of the more valuable websites here in Vancouver to check out. It's VancouverJazz.com. And one final mention of my friend Ken Speller. Ken Speller is a music teacher, and if you ever want to learn how to play the saxophone and get uh, lessons from a really good player, call Ken Speller. He has a, a business called Music at Home, and he'll actually come to your house and advise you on uh, how to purchase an instrument uh, if you don't have one, uh, all kinds of stuff, and give you lessons. And uh, he has a sizable amount of students, of course, uh, because he's, uh, he's that accomplished, and uh, he's an excellent music teacher. So if you're interested in that, he's the guy to call. Or if you want to upgrade your skills and, and take some lessons from a, uh, a real pro, Ken Speller's the man. But another 
aspect of uh, Ken is that he repairs musical instruments. That's right. He is a repairman, and uh, that's necessary. Uh, every, every person that plays a, a, a reed, brass um, instrument, that you uh, uh, flutes, saxophones, uh, even trumpets, trombones, and so on. You you have to. Uh, it's like owning a car. You have to you have to uh, cuddle up to your mechanic, and uh, you, if you ha- play a, a musical instrument, you have to find yourself a good repairman as well, because musical instruments always need tweaking, adjusting, sometimes complete overhauls, just like a car. Think of it that way, because they're machines, and of course you make them into something more than just a machine. So there you go. Um, Ken Speller is, uh, does his repairs at his home, so he keeps his costs down to a very, very reasonable level, and he guarantees his work. So he is located in the 13th and Lonsdale area of North Vancouver, and he has a telephone, 778-800-1933, 778-800-1933, or... You can reach him uh, via email, kspeller, K-S-P-E-L-L-E-R underscore 14 at yahoo.ca. That's Ken Speller. All right. Our tribute now is to a gentleman by the name of John Gilmore. John Gilmore, of course, uh, was born in Mississippi and uh, Summit, Mississippi, and moved to Chicago with his family at a very young age, like a lot of uh, black folks. They came up, came up north to uh, better their lives and opportunity and so on. And, um, and young Gilmore went to uh, DuSable High School in Chicago and, of course, um, picked up and fell in love with the saxophone, and specifically the tenor saxophone, and... Um, studied under Captain Walter Diet, as so many great jazz musicians uh, have done in the past. And, of course, Gilmore uh, went on to join his first major band, which was none other than Sun Ra's band. And uh, Gilmore had a very, very special place in that band and became one of the charter members and, of course, uh, if you joined uh, Sun Ra's organization, it was a communal band, and, and uh, you, you pledged allegiance to that band, and you pledged allegiance to the philosophy of Sun Ra. And um, if you wanted to take leave of absence from the band or uh, work with someone else for a while, you actually had to go to Sun Ra and uh, ask his permission because that was the deal, and um, Gilmore managed to do that several times during his, uh, his career with Sun Ra and performed with um, Freddie Hubbard, performed with McCoy Tyner, performed with Andrew Hill, great pianist, iconoclastic pianist, performed with Paul Blay, um, did quite a bit of work outside, also um, became a member for a while, of uh, Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers. He took Wayne Shorter's place in that band when Wayne left. So Gilmore was held in very high esteem. As a matter of fact, he auditioned to become uh, the tenor saxophonist in Miles Davis's newly formed group, the classic quintet. When Sonny Rollins wasn't available, or Sonny Rollins was busy and tied up and, and dealing with his own uh, problems in Chicago. He wasn't ready to join any band at that time. Uh, Gilmore 
was picked by Miles. But unfortunately, they, their styles didn't gel that well. And so Gilmore didn't stay in the band. And of course, John Coltrane took Gilmore's place, and the rest is history. Gilmore influenced Coltrane in uh, several ways, and John Coltrane actually talked about how much he admired Gil- John Gilmore's playing. I did too. Uh, as I mentioned before at the um, top of the program, I, uh, I, I got to know John. Uh, we became uh, pretty good uh, acquaintances, um, and it's too bad that uh, we didn't see each other often enough to become friends because we had a lot in common, had a lot of good laughs together, and had some really, really great conversations. And also I learned some stuff from John about saxophone playing that I applied to my own playing as well. And I love Gilmore's playing. It's very, very expressive, very unique, and um, you'll hear it. We're going to listen to a couple of tracks on a wonderful Freddie Hubbard album called The Artistry of Freddie Hubbard. And this is a really nice showcase for, uh, for John Gilmore. Uh, he's in this band, and he delivers some pretty effective solos on here. We're going to hear two tunes. Uh, the band includes a young and wonderful Freddie Hubbard on trumpet, Curtis Fuller on trombone, and John Gilmore on tenor saxophone. Art Davis is on bass, and Louis Hayes is on drums. And we're going to hear uh, Freddie's um, arrangement of the famous George Gershwin tune, Summertime. And then we're going to follow that with uh, a Freddie Hubbard original called The Seventh Day. And both of these uh, pieces of music feature incredible tenor saxophone solos by John Gilmore, all recorded July 2nd, 1962. So here we go with uh, this wonderful album, and we begin with Freddie Hubbard's arrangement of Summertime.
Part of our tribute to tenor saxophonist John Gilmore. And uh, here he was appearing as a sideman on this uh, Freddie Hubbard album called The Artistry of Freddie Hubbard, which came out on uh, Impulse Records. It was recorded July 2nd, 1962, and featured a hand-picked uh, group by, of course, the young, then-young trumpet virtuoso Freddie Hubbard. And we heard two tunes, uh, Freddie, of course, on trumpet, Curtis Fuller on trombone, and the gentlemen were paying tribute to John Gilmore with his uh, very dark and mysterious sound that he uh, achieved on the tenor saxophone. A great player. Um, Tommy Flanagan, of course, was on piano. Arthur Davis, Dr. Art Davis on drums, on bass, and Louis Hayes on drums. And the two tunes we heard, first one was Freddie Hubbard's arrangement of the George Gershwin standard from Porgy and Bass, Summertime. And the second tune was a very exotic Freddie Hubbard composition called The Seventh Day. And both of those tunes brought out the uh, this sort of mystique of uh, John Gilmore's playing, which is why I picked this as our uh, those two pieces as a, a tribute to uh, Mr. Gilmore. Of course, he spent most of his life devoted to an in Sunrise band, and that's what's up next. This is um, was recorded in 1966. And this piece, uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff happens, and then it gets into a very extended John Gilmore solo with Sun Ra on piano and um, on bass, Ronnie Boykins, and on drums, the wonderful Clifford Jarvis. And there's other folks in this band as well, Marshall Allen uh, on alto, Pat Patrick on baritone, Robert Cummings on bass clarinet, Teddy Nance on trombone, Ali Hassan on trombone, um, and Carl Nimrod on uh, gongs and percussion and stuff like that. So this is the Sun Ra Orchestra, as they sounded. Uh, they were on a tour in uh, May of 1966, and this is a piece of music by Sun Ra, of course, and it's called Dancing Shadows, featuring John Gilmore on tenor saxophone. Check this out.
That was the Sun Ra Orchestra, and that featured that particular segment called Dancing Shadows featured that extended solo by gentlemen we are paying tribute to, the late, great John Gilmore, and he was uh, perhaps the, uh, the most significant soloist uh, over the years in um, Sun Ra's band, and uh, he certainly delivered uh, on that particular solo. John Gilmore tore loose. And uh, we heard Sun Ra, of course, on piano and various members of the band. Um, on bass, Ronnie Boykins. And on drums, Clifford Jarvis, uh, driving uh, Mr. Gilmore along to uh, the height of creativity on the tenor saxophone. John Gilmore. And that's our, our very small tribute to this um, great man who was uh, born September 28th, um, 1931, in uh, Summit, Mississippi, and raised in Chicago, one of the great voices of the tenor saxophone, John Gilmore. We're going to play now and tell you that you are listening, of course, to The Jazz Show on uh, unceded Musqueam territory out here at the University of British Columbia. And we are broadcasting here on your FM band at 101.9. We are CITR. And... Also, we're on your computer, www.citr.ca. In the mail today, I received something that I've been waiting for for a long time, and this is the uh, 3-CD edition of the complete Concert by the Sea. This this is the best-selling jazz album ever. It um, it, it has sold more than uh, Kind of Blue or any of the other, or Take Five or any of those other very, very popular albums. This is by Errol Garner, and originally this came out as an LP, of course. Uh, It was recorded at a very special concert uh, on September 18, 1955, and um, it was a a concert in not part of the Monterey Jazz Festival. It was was, uh, uh, performed in Carmel, California, close to Monterey, and in the Monterey Peninsula, and it was it featured Garner and and his trio, and of course it was issued on this album called Concert by the Sea, Errol Garner, and the album was uh, the usual Columbia album uh, length, LP length, forty minutes. But it, for years, and it, then when CDs came out with uh, their potential extended time and all this kind of stuff, Columbia issued the thing on CD, but it was still only forty minutes long, and. I and many other people realized, um, being fans of Errol Garner, we knew that the concert was a lot more than 40 minutes. Garner played two very generous sets at that concert, and um, he always played, he was always very generous with his time. And um, so I often wondered whatever happened to the rest of the tapes? Why weren't they issued? Why, when CDs came out with their extended playing time and all that kind of stuff, why wasn't they? Why weren't they included on the on the the general CD uh, issue? Anyway, there were all kinds of. I read a whole thing this uh, in in this special edition, which took sixty years, sixty years to put out. There were all kinds of legal ramifications that Columbia had to negotiate 
and and um, hurdles that they had to mount to issue the complete concert. So that's why it took so long, and it's complicated. And I'd rather I'd rather just play you some of the music of, uh, especially the uh, we're going to play you some of the un- previously unissued uh, tracks, a couple or three of them uh, from this concert. Now this is a, a three D a three C D uh, set, beautifully produced, very extensive notes, and it includes um, an interview. We'll play that some other time. An interview with Errol and company and his band after the concert, and that has never seen the light of day. So it's very interesting. The first two CDs are the full concert. The third CD is the original album redone again plus this interview. But another thing with this recording is that the sound has improved immeasurably. They really, really did a fine job at um, cleaning up the tape and uh, just getting the most pristine sound possible. So hats off to Columbia for finally putting this out. And of course, hopefully it will bring Errol Garner back to the fore. He has been an influence on probably every piano player, modern piano player on the planet, whether they know it or not. And Gardner was an extraordinary musician. He never learned to read music. He didn't have to. He didn't know anything about harmony. He didn't know anything about chords. He didn't know anything about keys, uh, all that stuff. He just played. And, of course, he was so well-loved. His music transcended jazz. There were so many people that don't like jazz that loved Errol Garner. And uh, he had, had a very successful career. He died, unfortunately, in 1977 of uh, a lung ailment. And, and we lost this incredible genius. Uh, and he really was. Um, he was a phenomenon. And, and he was not... A lot of people thought of him as being sort of an idiot savant because he was not particularly verbally articulate and uh, rarely gave any kind of interviews. And, of course, people assumed that he was just like that, but he wasn't. He was extremely perceptive, intelligent, and he knew exactly what was going on. He was no naif, so Errol Garner. And uh, hopefully this, the issue of this deluxe package will bring Errol Garner back to light and I think this music should be played in every jazz uh, college program. People should hear, uh, younger people should hear Errol Garner. We're going to hear some of it now. So we're, we're going to open with a couple of unissued um, tunes, previously unissued tunes from the uh, festival. Here is Garner's version of George Shearing's famous anthem, Lullaby of Birdland. Then we're going to do uh, another tune written by Bernie Miller, we're going to follow Lullaby of Birdland with a thing called Bernie's Tune. And then we're going to end the set with the final tune of the concert, which was never put on the original album. And that's an eight-minute version of Caravan, written by Juan Tizal. And um, that'll wrap things up for now, because this uh, album is going to be a jazz feature pretty soon down the line. Not next month, but uh, in November. So here we go. So we begin with Lullaby of Birdland. (laughs) 
I'm such a smart fellow, I picked the, uh, picked the wrong tune. <laughs> uh, yes, all right, here we go. Um, I had it on the wrong CD. Here we go. And Lullaby of Birdland, here we go.
Well, what can one really say about <laughs> that? Errol Garner recorded, uh, actually, I've been saying September 18th. It's actually, actually it was September 19th. Uh, that concert took place in 1955. That's right, in a um, Sunset Center in uh, Carmel, California, produced by the redoubtable Jimmy Lyons. Errol Garner, of course, on piano with his trio, Eddie Calhoun on bass, and Denzel DaCosta Best on drums. And uh, Eddie had just joined the band. As a matter of fact, my, one of my closest friends, Wyatt Ruther, had just left uh, Errol Garner's trio to join Count Basie. And uh, Eddie, Eddie Calhoun um, was hired by Errol Garner, and he turned out to be um, a very fine bassist. Uh, right from the get-go, and he stayed with Errol for 11 years, Eddie Calhoun. And, of course, Denzel DeCosta Best was one of the most tasty drummers and a perfect accompaniment for Errol Garner. We heard three tunes that were never before put out until this deluxe edition. Uh, We heard The Lullaby of Birdland. We followed that with um, Bernie's tune, written by Bernie Miller, and the final tune was uh, the last um, full-length tune of the concert. And that, of course, was uh, Errol's uh, ridiculous rendition of Caravan, written by Juan Teasall, and uh, a specialty of that trio. One final tune I'd like to uh, play for you this evening. I was hoping that I, was, I would be able to do a further uh, tribute, but... Um, We will do that uh, in the future, maybe uh, next week. We're going to uh, play the Jazz Crusaders. And uh, today, 75 years old, one of the principal voices in the Jazz Crusaders, Wilton Felder, the tenor saxophonist, passed away. And uh, Wilton was not only a great tenor saxophonist, but an incredible bass player as well. And, of course, he was... uh, Uh, one of the leading voices in this uh, legendary band. There's only one jazz crusader left now, and that's drummer Styx Hooper. And uh, all these guys, Wilton Felder, Wayne Henderson, and pianist Joe Sample, and Styx Hooper all grew up together in in Texas. And they'd been playing music from the time they were kids. And, um, of course, uh, when they became proficient on their instruments... They formed a band called the Nighthawks and played uh, R&B music and pop music and sang and did harmony and all this kind of stuff. But as a jazz group, and when they were booked as a jazz group, they became the Jazz Crusaders and, of course, played jazz. And um, various bass players were in and out of the band. The bass, player, uh, the bass position was always flexible in this band. But uh, the four, the four uh, principal members... Felder, Henderson, Sample, and Hooper were uh, always together, the Jazz Crusaders. So this is just one tune that we're going to hear. This is their, um, probably their most significant tune. It's a piece of music. It's called the Freedom Sound, and they always played this uh, at concerts uh, and events. It was one of the most requested tunes, and uh, it was written by pianist Joe Sample, who did most of the arrangements for the band as well. This was recorded at the uh, Newport Jazz Festival uh, in 1966. So we're here, Wilton Felder on tenor saxophone, Wayne Henderson on trombone, Joe Sample on piano, 
uh, Herbie Lewis on bass, and the surviving member, Stix Hooper on drums. Nesbert, Nesbert Hooper, Stix Hooper. And uh, this is concluding our show this evening, The Freedom Sound.
Our final selection this evening, the Jazz Crusaders, sort of a small tribute to uh, the late Wilton Felder, who played tenor saxophone in the band, was one of the major voices in that band, and uh, he passed away at age 75 uh, yesterday, and uh, we lost a great musician. He was also a wonderful bass player as well, and uh, a wonderful human being, too, uh, Wilton Felder. The Jazz Crusaders recorded at the Newport Jazz Festival in 1966. We heard uh, Wayne Henderson on trombone, the aforementioned Wilton Felder on tenor saxophone, Joe Sample on piano, all of them now gone, and uh, on bass, Herbie Lewis, who is also no longer with us, and the surviving member of the original Jazz Crusaders, Nesbert Styx Hooper on drums. The Jazz Crusaders. We'll uh, pay a further tribute to that uh, wonderful band uh, on next week's show and a tribute to uh, the tenor saxophone work of uh, Wilton Felder. Very, very distinctive player. Always, always liked his playing. Thank you very much for being out there this evening. And uh, don't forget, we're here every Monday evening with some of the very best in jazz music. We uh, start at 9 and carry on as you have uh, gathered, those of you that stay up late. We go past midnight. Um, the official time is up to midnight, but we always take it a little after midnight, too. Play some more stuff and fill up the airwaves with some good sounds. And uh, we hope that uh, some of you out there appreciate those sounds as well. Thank you very much on behalf of myself, Gavin Walker, and, of course, on... CITR FM 101.9, broadcasting out here in, on unceded Musqueam territory at UBC, University of British Columbia. We're also on the web, www.citr.ca. So take care, and we'll see you in seven days' time. Bye-bye. Ba
Thank you.